Seven. Seven. Chris, the topic we will be discussing today is what does a great flawed hero look like as a PC? That's a good one. Indeed. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rowe. Andy, you need to spill the beans. It sounds like you have finally kicked off a campaign for your, your I'll call it your gaming group that you've been planning for a long time. So what is going on in your current Call of Cthulhu-ish campaign? And uh, yeah, how did you get there? Yeah, so the campaign is Masks of Nyarlathotep for Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And for the last six or seven months, since the beginning of this year, I've been running Call of Cthulhu for this group with the specific goal of segueing, if that, if I don't know if that's the right verb, <laughs> of transitioning into Massive Nyarlathotep when it felt right. So mm-hmm. it's felt right for a little while. So I have spent a lot of time prepping for that very complicated campaign, yes. more complicated than any campaign I have run before, I will say, mm-hmm. um, as far as the number of characters you have to keep track of and yeah, so that has occupied almost all of my gaming brain space for the last several weeks. Yeah. Um, then in the last week, I was able to launch it. I guess I should say spoilers if you don't want to hear like the basic premise of Masks of Nyarlathotep. I won't spoil anything real big. Yeah. But it kicks off with a murder of an NPC. Yes. And so when I was thinking about running this campaign, because this is in every GM's white whale, I want to run this one day, is Masks is. The universal advice I got both from the internet and from a couple of um, friends here in the Discord who have played it and run it was this works better if the players care about this NPC before mm-hmm. you murder him. Yeah. So I probably went overkill on it because we spent <laughs> like probably six months of adventuring during which the players grew really attached to this NPC mm-hmm. so much so that I delayed launching masks because I didn't want to have to kill this person off. And oh, I, wow. I knew my players would be furious with me and they were they were really mad. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. but I pulled the trigger and I, I ultimately decided I need to use this emotional connection I've built up. It really does power the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I can't fake it. I can't have him get kidnapped. I can't have him just vanish. I really do need to have him get killed yes. and then let the players let that uh, quasi real emotion drive the players so i i'm babbling here but i'm gonna stop talking so thoughts yeah no uh, so i've played in mass before and i know exactly what you're talking about with the the death of um of jacks or jackson sorry um, yep yeah right at the beginning i don't remember a whole lot from that campaign it was a, it was a while ago and just i don't have i don't have the memory for it but i do remember i do remember that <laughs> yeah I do remember that part and it was very much the emotional sort of inciting incident and i think this is like one thing that a lot of other campaigns and stuff that i played in just don't do as well yeah. is having that that sort of like the stakes set for you so clearly so early yes. on of like why why you want to go on the adventure and it's just like oh well we got to figure out what happened right uh, what happened here and why yeah, you've hit right on it. I mean, the the murder of a loved one is such a cliched way to launch almost any kind of story. You know how many, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's terms for it. It's such a trope, but it is a powerful trope for a reason. So how do you make it 
powerful, you know, in an RPG. In my case, I made the decision that I was going to lay months of groundwork so that it would, the murder would pay off emotionally. Obviously, you can't do that for every campaign, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's a, a, a shortcut way to do that. If If you don't have the time to kind of establish a relationship before you sacrifice it for the sake of the plot, you know, you really are asking a lot of your players to, you're not asking anything unfair of them, but they have the kind of extra work to do of mm-hmm. imagining that their PCs are emotionally connected to an NPC that they, the player, are not. Yes. And yeah. So absolutely, players can do that. That's fantastic. I will say it, it, you know, it certainly did pay off to have the players as attached to the NPC as their characters were. The campaign I'm playing in right now is the the enemy within, and I don't know if this is like written into it or not, but something that our GM Matt um, asked us to do was to like we each had to sort of invent a bond with this this NPC hmm. at the beginning of it. It was a bond along the lines of like like how did this person wrong you, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Like, Excellent. Yes. Yeah, and then so like we we spent some time going around the table, sort of coming up with reasons why we hated this person that we knew nothing about. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, like in the the first scene in the game, like that person walks in the door, right? So it's like, you know, yes, of course. yeah, but I mean, I think like just having some of that that stuff sorted out beforehand can be so useful because like you're starting a campaign and like no one's like quite sure what they're doing. But I mean, just having something to grab onto, um, yeah. right? Like even if after, I, I highly doubt that your group is going to forget about Jackson, like, you know, in, yeah. in three sessions. But I mean, even if they did, right, then they're they're kind of on to the next thing, right? Like at that yeah. point, they, they have a, a shared history and like a reason why they're, they're going on this adventure together. Well, one of the things that makes Masks such a wonderful game is it is one of the few kind of published campaigns that A, is, you know, widely considered to be very good. And B, there's so much material for it because it's been a staple. It's been, you know, it's been a staple of the hobby for since it was published. There's so much material out there. You know, I've got like, half a dozen books you know some of them 700 pages long written about this campaign or about aspects of it it's kind of a rare treat i think in this hobby of a campaign that's been around long enough that it's accumulated sort of a meta level of documentation and reports about how to do it well and how to make it better and Mm -hmm. Some of those are in published book form even, and some of them exist as sort of forum posts and blog posts, but that's kind of a treasure. And Mm -hmm. it's been part of the experience of prepping for this campaign has been exploring this kind of this cloud of witnesses, I guess, that has come (laughs) before having run and played masks and emerged from it with different comments and, um, and some of whom were driven by that experience to write up articles or books about this is how this can be done better or how you can get the most out of it. Yeah. You you know, there's a lot of great RPG campaigns out there, but I don't think that there's, you know, Enemy Within is is one of them. I don't think that there's anything that can lay claim to this level of just like kind of community documentation and commentary. Yeah, and that's kind of fascinating to me because it's like there's certainly a lot of campaigns that many people have played. Um I think the most I've seen in like the D&D world you know, there's like a, you know, occasionally people will have up on um, like drive through like their, they'll compile their notes into something you can download yeah. like that. But like the thought of like a companion book self-published by someone else on any, any, like any D&D campaign, it's like, yes. I just like, I don't see that happening, but like, why not? Right. Like, it, you know, there's, there's clearly stuff that could be gained from that. But yeah, but I think about like, like mass, like I know there's been a, a few like reproductions, you know, like 
props and stuff like that. Like you can just buy like a whole, <laughs> a whole box full of them and stuff. And like, that's really cool. But it, it does make me wonder like, you know, so in 50 years, are people still going to be talking about masks? And like, will there be some sort of definitive edition that collects mm. all this stuff into like one thing? Or is it always the act of reading the adventure and coming, kind of piecing those things together? Like, is that, is that the fun part as a GM is like trying to parse through all that stuff or is there like we're just sort of waiting for someone to write like that okay here's how to actually do it right correctly it is interesting to think about that in terms of you know dnd the you know the overwhelming juggernaut of the hobby going back to it the hobby's mm-hmm. creation as the hobby has diversified and grown and spread i do sometimes wonder if we are losing the kind of sense of a communal experience of a particular adventure or particular campaign Mm -hmm. for a long, for a very long time in the first, maybe two decades of the hobby, the keep on the borderlands was a touchstone experience that a very large percentage of people I interacted with in the hobby had played or run. Mm -hmm. And that's because it had, I don't remember the exact publishing history, so please don't at me on Twitter, (laughs) but uh, you know, I, I think it had just been in there with one of the early D&D starter sets, you know, that everybody got for Christmas in 1979 or something mm-hmm. like that. And I mean, I love the hobby. I love how big and diverse and awesome it has become over the decades. But I do think it is awfully hard to point at something that like everybody can remember having played in, mm-hmm. you know, and I think like when I think D&D 5e, so I think an awful lot of people have probably played in the Fandelver adventure from the starter set. So I yeah. think that prop that might, we might be able to move that into a category of something that you can just talk about and assume that people like have encountered it in some way. And I do think that, you know, I don't really pay a ton of attention to like the, the kind of creator program that wizards has over on GM's guild or drive their RPG. Mm-hmm. But I, I do remember when I did a little bit of reading up on Strahd at some point, and there was quite a bit of kind of community written material written to support you running a game of Strahd. And they ranged from like, I drew all these awesome maps for the different locations in the campaign. And then there was the, you know, I've rewritten the the premises of this campaign to to be something that's more interesting to me, you know, mm-hmm. and I was impressed by the community experience expressed through that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I didn't download or purchase it all, so I can't really talk about its quality, but, and I guess we kind of got off topic, but I, I do <laughs> love, you know, I do love thinking about this stuff and, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else you would, that's come out in the last decade or so that, that seems like a touch point that everybody can look back at? No, not really. And I, yeah, I'm with you. It, I think it's just, the strength of the hobby is that you don't have to have, have that necessarily, but it all is also a weakness a bit too. And that like, you know, it, whenever you talk to someone else, like their experience of what, what Call of Cthulhu is or their experience of what D and D is right. It can be so different from like household to household. Right. Like yeah. it's not even like a, like a regional thing. Right. It's like a, you know, who, who's, you know, GMing, uh, GMing the game and like, you know, what do you, what the, what do the players want to get out of it? That to me is very fascinating that we have sort of these published, like here's, here's the thing you're running, but then how it actually gets run is just like, so so different. And like, we, so we've talked a lot, I, I think like you and I have talked quite a bit. I know we've talked about this on the discord a little bit about the idea of like, 
like canons, right? Like, you know, like there's like the, the Western literature canon, right? Like, so everybody should read Grapes of Wrath or whatever. Like that concept, I think there is some use to it. Like it's, it's somewhat useful to be able to have things that you can point back to. And it's like, oh, everybody has seen The Matrix. Everybody has read East of Eden, right? Like all these, you know, cultural touch points, you can reference them and stuff. But like, yeah, like in tabletop games, there's really isn't that. And I, I feel like what I've found a lot is there can end up being a little bit of a negotiation when you start talking about like, oh, do you play D&D? Like you're trying to figure out like what kind of D&D <laughs> do you play? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, are you a bunch of murder hobos? Do you really get into role playing? Do you have like miniatures? Do you play with a digital map? Do you only play online? Right. Like there's all these like fragmentations of it too, such that if any time that I was going to start a campaign with anybody, I mean, I would, I would sit down and be like, here's my expectations about like, what it just looks like when we play <laughs> right? yeah like yeah those sorts of things yeah like and i mean that's even before you get into like what campaign are we gonna play right like yeah like you got to kind of decide on like do you like this style of game that we're gonna run i'm trying to think you know thinking of other other media if you like science fiction you know it's helpful that you it's helpful that you can count that everyone has seen star wars everyone's seen alien everyone's seen the matrix and maybe they loved those movies and maybe they hated them mm-hmm and their experience of those movies was, of course, their own, but they do provide sort of a common vocabulary of experience that you can use when talking about science fiction. Mm-hmm. And with role-playing games, you know, that incredibly subjective element, the incredibly extra subjective experience of even a kind of a, quote, canonical classic like Keep on the Borderlands, you know, what did two groups playing Keep on the Borderlands could have like an almost 180 degree different experience with it you know depending mm-hmm. on what they wanted to do what did what was the gm like who were the players yeah and that feels to me you know almost like uh it's like music you know there's like touch tone touch i keep saying i keep misstating like words i'm trying to yeah. say like, yeah, like no, a get, touch yeah. point or something like that there'd be sort <laughs> of kind of uh, key points in the history of music. If you like a certain genre, you will listen to these albums, but add to that with an RPG. It's like a kind of performance experiential element beyond just kind of passively reading or watching it. You know, it's more like what kind of music have you played? You know, did you perform this play? Mm. Uh, and what was the performance of it? Like, you know, those are, that's more to me like what those elements are in like an RPG. Maybe like maybe indeed almost like we've all read the whatever um, Hamlet, but we haven't all played in we haven't all played a role or directed mm. Hamlet, right? So I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh but. no, it does. You've you've accidentally stumbled upon two of my trap cards here. So oh, dear. Like, okay, yeah. all right. Um, like with Shakespeare in particular, I, the experience between reading reading a Shakespeare play, performing a Shakespeare play, and watching one are three almost totally separate experiences, in, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think you you don't need to be a professional actor, I think, to perform before many of these so like right in high school this will surprise no one i was you know kind of pretentious and whatnot but like so uh, you know i was I, in honors english classes and stuff again probably unsurprising but uh whenever we'd have to read uh like read shakespeare plays i would my friends and i would get together and we would go we'd go to the school's like stage um like after school right and then we would just perform it right like so you oh, just wow. you, everybody you just kind of pick your parts as you're going and you just stand up on stage and, and read it out loud to each other and like just that difference of like having to think about even just a little bit about like how would I actually do this sort of thing like makes those plays come alive in a way that they just don't when you're just sitting there reading it, which I think is why most people like 
think that they hate Shakespeare and they hate plays yeah. and stuff is because like you're not you're like you're not supposed to just read it <laughs> like in your head, right? Like right, you're supposed yeah. to go go up on a stage or, or watch someone else do it, right? And then you know we just have like a you know a litany of um, options for like you know do you want to watch a modern interpretation? Like you know go go get the you and McGregor. Uh, not you and McGregor, uh, Ethan Hawke version of, of Hamlet. You can watch that one. Like you can, right. yeah, find like, yeah, all sorts of different variations of Hamlet. Like that sort of stuff I think is fascinating to think about because like if you only ever experienced Shakespeare because it was getting put on as like your local community play and like you got tapped to play, I don't know, like Rosencrantz or something like that, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like you were, you're just like this bit part, like your experience of that play is going to be very different from someone who only ever read it when they were bored in English class in high school and like got nothing, yeah, like none of the drama. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you got oh, me fired is, up there. Yeah. This uh, is great. So um, we did technically roll topic at the beginning of this episode. Yes. Let's put a pin in this or whatever the term is, because mm. I think both of us are intrigued by this, this, idea and the discussion of sort of these shared hobby experiences within mm-hmm. the role-playing hobby so i i want us to come back to this at some point maybe yeah i think so i mean part of the all right like so we run a convention every year so that's, that's coming up pretty soon too and i think like part of that for me is the idea of like let's get a bunch of people in the room together and sort of see see what happens there i mean i i do think it would be fascinating one of these years to have everybody playing the same game at four or five different tables right and like just sort of like mm-hmm. seeing like, okay, like, what was it, right, for you? <laughs> you playing this yeah. exact same adventure. Um, oh, I heard something in the background. Uh, yeah, I live near a fire station, okay. so maybe yeah. three times a day. Okay. Be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice, in case your house it, is around. It's funny how used to this you get. You would think that would be <laughs> awful, and I guess objectively it maybe is, but yeah. I don't even notice it, so... Okay. All right. Yes. Well, let's, let's table it for, for now. And I think we, we definitely will talk about it more and come back to it later. So, um, that sounds great. Right. Yeah. so our topic that we rolled is what does a great flawed hero look like as a, as a PC? Um, so I think like, you know, this question to me is interesting that it specifies as a PC. Yes. So just before we get going, the thought is like, this is not like an NPC. This is like someone you're, you're playing your character. How do you make them a flawed hero in a way that's uh, actually fun at the table? That is a tough question, actually. Mm-hmm. So my mind, you know, immediately goes to, you know, thinking of what makes a great flawed hero in literature or movies. And we have, mm-hmm. Speaking of Shakespeare, for example. Yeah. Uh, we have, a, you know, there's a tremendous crowd of flawed heroes in film and literature to mm-hmm. draw from. You know, it might be worth talking about what we think makes good flawed characters in general. But mm-hmm. yeah, the sticky point here is that we have to talk about this in the context of the pc that you're playing yeah yeah i think the the opposite i think of a flawed hero just to sort of start with the (laughs) the the negative version of it would be like the edgelord character i think right like some someone that you just like yeah is not going to relate to anybody the flaw here is not a uh a character defect that makes it annoying for you to be around them but more more like yeah something something about about the character that you're playing that like i think gives them something interesting maybe to fall back on or like a like i don't know they're not just like this like captain america style like you know perfect perfect specimen of of a hero i think about my own youth in the hobby and you know especially when we played like kind of top secret and some other more modern setting games we would make what we thought were kind of anti-hero type characters Mm -hmm. and we were pulling those from like the action movies of the day, which kind of presented people that we were told were anti-heroes, which mostly meant 
they were like too awesome for <laughs> conventional morality yes. right yeah. so yeah um and that you know was exciting when i was 13 but these days is you know a tedious edgelord fantasy yeah there's flawed heroes in the sense that there is something broken or wrong with your pc right mm -hmm. and then there are you know a different when i think about literary flawed heroes you know they have something about their character that kind of dooms them in advance it stops them from being able to reach like the best conclusion to their story yeah and i'm wondering what if that is a definition that could come into an rpg and what it might look like that's a really neat way of putting it can i ask you let's let's just do a couple of rapid fire questions for you so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna ask you like are are these characters flawed <laughs> flawed or not okay so is is frodo a flawed hero See, I'm going to overthink all of these, even though yeah, that's fine. But I mean, I think this, okay. this this helps us get there. I'm going to give you my gut answer is is no. I don't think of Frodo as a flawed character. Interesting. Even though, sort of at the end, he was unable to do do his thing, do what he I, was supposed to do. I with Frodo, I don't see his failure at the end as a personal flaw. Mm -hmm. I see that more as like, I think anyone would fail that test at the end. Okay. I don't think Frodo failed it uniquely because of some, like, weakness or vulnerability that he has. Mm -hmm. I think that he failed it because everybody put in that situation is going to fail because I, in the sense in which they are a flawed hero, is that they are just, you know, human beings. Interesting. Okay. Um, that, that would be my gut response, but I... I can already form in my own head a rebuttal to this, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, react. I'd like to hear your reactions. Yeah, is um, think about the main character from Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth Bennett. Is she a flawed hero? It's been too long since I read Pride and Prejudice for me to say. Okay, all right. So, sorry. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, let's see. Is is like I'm trying to think of other. Is Neo from the Matrix a flawed hero? Uh no. Okay. All right, Andy, who is a flawed hero then? Can you name name one? Yeah, okay, let me think. Yeah, that's fine. Well, okay, well, so well, this is going to be a... I'm going to name somebody who is very obvious and let me provide context. Okay. So I think Batman is a good flawed hero. Okay. Not because he's an edgelord vigilante that like beats the crap out of thugs <laughs> instead of you know bringing them into the regular which, justice which system. Which he is, yeah. <laughs> but because my favorite Batman stories highlight that he is kind of causing the problems he's trying to solve mm -hmm. like the my favorite ones are the ones that remind us that if batman weren't doing his thing these villains and stuff would not exist mm -hmm. um and i think like dark knight returns actually for all of its own edgelordiness does kind of a good job of kind of cementing that and that means to me that like that batman can never get what he what he wants because he can never really truly admit to himself that in on some fundamental level he is the problem mm -hmm. and he because he can't face that he will keep doing his thing and he will never find peace and he will never achieve what he wants yeah so to me that is a flawed hero a good flawed hero 
upfront that's baked into his personality. It's not going to change. It dooms the whole story of Batman from the very beginning mm-hmm. um, because he has things about himself that he can't change that will sabotage what he wants to get. Okay. Yeah. I will buy that. And I think that's, that's a really good, really good way to think about it. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, like if, if Batman really wanted to solve the crime problem, right. He has billions of dollars. He could, <laughs> you know, he could, yeah. you know, he could approach this in a different way other than, you know, kind of beating them up one by one and then hoping that did it. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. How does that then translate to like a character that you're playing at the table? Cause I mean, I think there is a, there's a tendency to, to want to play the hero, right? Like you want to be be the hero. I think in a lot of like fantasy RPG games, uh, I mean, honestly, like in, in most tabletop games, you could make the argument that the sort of the trail of destruction that's left by the party makes them kind of flawed, <laughs> flawed by default yeah. because they're, they're never there for the cleanup, the cleanup part of it, right? It's like, you know, you've just gone in and ransacked this mine, but like, great, now you've destabilized the, the economy completely because you flooded it with like gold that you found, <laughs> you found. Yeah. Deep deep in there um right so i mean i think there is there there's an element of that of just like by the nature of playing these games where there's high conflict like there's going to be some flaws that sort of shake out from that but like yeah can i butt in on that one please i agree with you and i also maybe i'm reading into the way you presented that but Mm -hmm. like i share a little bit of dissatisfaction with that as saying that that is a flaw simply because you know i mean i think you need to manage very carefully you know when we enter into these genre spaces I think it can sometimes feel satisfying, but ultimately end up being a mistake to kind of bring real world consequences into them. Mm. How fun is it if like half of every comic story is dealing with, you know, rebuilding the the buildings that they destroyed (laughs) that Superman punched, you know, Zod through and and comforting the broken families from all the people that were killed when the Mm -hmm. whatever crashed into manhattan those make great stories when we encounter them every now and then yeah but i don't think that those make for very good sort of ongoing flaw type stories is that am i making sense yeah i think so i think what you're saying is you don't want any consequences <laughs> no, exactly. yeah, yeah i want to want to yeah. Yeah. No. No. I think. I think I get what you're saying. It's almost like there is a there's a focus of the story, right? Like of, of the game that you're playing, that necess that like sort of necessitates that you don't really spend a whole lot of time on like the cleanup portion of it because it's just it's not. Yes. Right. It slows things down. It's really not really the narrative you want to say and like the narrative that you want to tell. And I think there's also an element of like let's just let's assume that this went well, like the cleanup went well. We yeah. don't have to like play out every every little bit of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, those are all amazing stories to be told. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when players come to your table, you don't usually want them to feel kind of caught off guard or like you pulled the rug out from under them mm-hmm. as far as like you thought you were having a fun adventure. But actually, I'm going to like rub the destruction at all these broken families you yes. left in your wake. Uh, yeah, like if you haven't signed up for that, that's not that's not a fun, a fun right. way to, but, to play. But that's not to not to say that those are not interesting mm-hmm. stories to explore but okay so like to, to think about like the, the question like how to answer it so if the system that you're in has magic in it right i think like a good way to maybe approach this as a as a pc is like there's there's some sort of like struggle over the power of the magic that's that's in that and how you might use it or not use it um to mm. your benefit um in the in the game right like so i think there is there's a lot that can be played with there and again the enemy within campaign that i'm playing in right now like magic has has consequences, like pretty pretty real and extant consequences when you use it. 
in yeah. certain ways. So I, mean, I think there's something that's really, really fascinating about that of like, yeah, sure. Like you, you have this great power you can use, but like, if you use it, like there's going to be something that happens, happens because of it. And I think so like a flawed hero in that circumstance, I think can be, can be pretty interesting if you look at like the, like the abilities provided to them and then like maybe some of the, the either interior or exterior consequences that can come out of that. Um, right. I think that to me can make for some interesting questions and conundrums at the table versus like, I don't know, them being like, yeah, versus the like, yeah, the loner, <laughs> the loner mentality. Right. A couple quick thoughts in response to that. One is it is kind of hard to tell a story about a group of roughly narratively equally important people mm-hmm. who are flawed. It is not too hard to make one character who is flawed if the mm-hmm. story is about that one character. How do you accommodate four flawed characters or how do you accommodate a group of four narratively equally important people and like one or two of them have these sort of fatal flaws? Yeah. Um, when I think about games that have, you know, overt mechanics for flaws and they will sometimes call them flaws or disadvantages, you know, they will be the need to keep those flaws from doing what they do in other media, which is ruin, is doom the character's story. Mm -hmm. You can't doom the whole play, the whole party's story because somebody has the greed flaw, right? (laughs) Yeah. If, if the story were only about one person, you could happily take that greed flaw and explore what happens every time he almost he or she almost gets their goal and then their greed pulls them away from it. So I feel that's had the effect of making flaws in RPGs kind of side minor side, more like quirks. Mm-hmm. The most I really see them doing is occasionally incentivizing a PC, a player to make a suboptimal choice. Yeah. Right in play. And that's fine. That's fun. And, and like that can be really fun at the table. It also does not have the narrative weight of like, oh, Odysseus, Odysseus will never find what he wants yeah. because he can't, um, you know, master his weakness flaws. Yeah. I wonder if at um, the table, if flaws need to have the ability to be overcome in the character, right? Like if you're reading a novel and the characters never grow or change, right? Like that's not a very interesting novel. Like it might be the same same thing here. It's like, to, to maintain a like a greedy character throughout a campaign, I think would be pretty exhausting. But if you're giving them opportunities to sort of like to show that they're like you know, getting better about it, like letting that part of themselves go change in some way, I think that could be that could be a, a good way to set up a campaign where you have all these flawed characters, right? Like everybody sort of has their own thing that they're working through, right? Like just sort of like in real life, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody has stuff that they're working, they're working through. And it doesn't mean that like, just because you start the campaign greedy, you end it greedy, like, right? Like maybe you start it as greedy and you end it as, um, you know, generous, right? Like that, that could be one outcome of the, of the game that you're playing. Um, right. Or maybe you start out generous and then like, there's a sort of a, yeah, anti-hero <laughs> uh, yeah. arc and you end up greedy, right? Like, I think, I think you can, you can play with some of those. I think as long as people are allowed to sort of change the characters change. And I think if you can work with your players to be like, what, what steps do you sort of want to see this character take in order to overcome it? Like, right. Like, you know, like in the beginning, maybe you steal all the loot. Right. But like, how do you mend that rift between your, your party? Like, how do you change? How do you like make different decisions throughout? I think it'd be a, a really, um, 
really like good way to approach that. I, I still don't know if it's fun, but I think that'd be a more interesting way of approaching it rather than just like, well, I'm never going to change. I really like that idea. And yeah, it's, it makes me think of, you know, an RPG character creation session where you are writing down like, what are like three, what are three journeys your character is on mm-hmm. uh, in some way? Like what are three like ways they're trying to be better or ways they're trying to change and not, not so that you can apply the greedy mechanical flaw to their character, but so that I guess you can throw them situations in which they have to wrestle between, uh, am I going to resist my greedy impulse here and make progress towards my goal of becoming a more generous person mm-hmm. or, or is my character going to um, give into his like impulses and, and chart that over time, like you say, with the promise of your character can be different at the end of the story, mm-hmm. not just more powerful, but they can be different. They can, they will be at a different part in this journey from like point A to point B yeah. at the end of the campaign. Yeah, I think there's definitely something there. There's um, the Seventh C game has has some of that uh, built in, but that's more like a more narrative. You say like, well, you know, this is going to be part of my story. Is I'm you know going to do this thing, right? Like there's steps that you kind of define define as you're playing about like how to how to get there and like how to complete each of those steps, and then you know some some sort of mechanical advantage. But I think yeah, there's no reason you couldn't do that with. Um, with like personality stuff a little bit. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea of kind of tracking the progress of uh, uh, the tracking, the evolution of your personality in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know how you would do it in a fun way, but yeah, I mean, I think there's I something know. there. I I bet there's some games that do this really well that we're just not, not aware of. So if you've, if you've heard of any of them, please, you know, write in, let us know uh, a little bit, but I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fascinating like story work you could do here. I, I'm less convinced there's a lot you could do mechanically with this other than having to just be like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what you would do mechanically to, to either reward or, <laughs> or inhibit some of that behavior. I don't know all of these games super well, but there are certain games that put a clock on the length of your character's story. Mm-hmm. Like I think, or where there's a mechanic that, I think this might come from like Burning Wheel or something like that. But so I'm, this doesn't match any game perfectly. But you know, imagine a game where you start out with a grief stat of one, Hmm. and when it hits ten, your character, you know, your character is lost. Your character despairs and like leaves or quits the adventuring career or or whatever or departs for the west. Yeah. In your game, if there are a lot of ways to add to that grief stat and not very many ways to reduce the grief stat then you do create, you need the surety of an end for these journeys, kind of, I think, these sort of literary style character evolution journeys to have the most impact. Some sort of measure like that, that is pretty heavily weighted towards one uh, culmination, even if it allows some possibility of mitigating it or slowing Mm -hmm. it, might create a little bit of that sense of the doomed or the flawed hero in the sense that they are kind of, struggling against a sort of a certain inevitability about themselves even if in the moment they are sometimes able to rise above it yeah oh that's really fascinating yeah i mean it's you know it's it's a simplistic view of like who people are right like at their core but i mean i think having having that mechanical like hey you can you can actually save everybody in your party if you're willing to take that treasure and use it 
use it, but like you can never tell them why, you know, for example, like, so your, your, your greed stat's going to go up by, by one, right. Or like, maybe it's secret, like maybe it actually goes down, goes down by one, but to the rest of the party, it looks like, <laughs> looks oh. like it's gone up. Right. Like, I mean, you could, you could do a lot with that if you explored that, um, that idea quite a bit. So we should wrap up. Um, but I yes. think like looking at the question, I think where we're kind of coming at this, and I think this is, this is not where I thought it would go. Is that like in order to have like good flawed heroes, your your mechanics and your story have to like support the the interesting parts of that, <laughs> mm. right? Yeah, like and so it can't just be like a like oh I've written down on my sheet yeah this like this minor flaw that I have that will never come up unless like we have no idea what's going on. The GM has to say like remember you're greedy right like on, on your character right. sheet right like it's got to be something that's gonna going to be interacted with quite a bit um, and built into the game. Yeah, so I guess to sum up, uh, the perfect flawed hero is one that is just too awesome yes. for like the the rules of society and the law, right? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. what we came up? Okay, they're so strong that they have to use really big swords, and you can't really <laughs> find really big swords anywhere. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's wrap it up. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, this has been Roll for Topic. Um, uh, we, we are part of the Roll for It Media podcasting network. Our sister show, The Splat Book, with John Corey and Kyle Latino is wonderful. You can find them at thesplatbook.com. Their uh, most recent episode was about uh, finding a creative pursuit, or I guess, or choosing a creative pursuit, I think is the, the wording that they ended up with. Um, Andy, I don't know if you've listened to this one, but you you definitely need to go go check it out. It is it's a very like emotionally honest episode, um, which I appreciated quite a bit. And I think there's a lot of like, just really good information there about like, like what does it even mean to do that? Right. Like to be, be creative in your day-to-day life. Um, yeah. So really like that one, please, please everybody go listen. I have not listened to that one yet. And it's partly because there's this flood of people that I saw listening to it. And, like it was, it sounded like such an impactful experience yeah. to listen to it i've been like kind of saving it for uh, the right yeah. frame of mind but, uh, yeah. yes yeah that, this is definitely a like put it on and um like go take a go take a walk outside while you're listening to it sort of episode not not something you throw on and half listen to in the car so right. yeah but yeah anyway all really good stuff yeah so go go do check them out but um yeah i think that does it for us thank you so much for listening as always please reach out if you have any feedback um, we love hearing from people too so i've been chris Halsman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your player's having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.